once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We are pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Well, good morning. Welcome to week three of our series called Church Matters. Uh, We have spent the past two weeks looking at the foundation of the church and the mission of the church. Uh, And this morning, our text, it's one of my favorites. Uh, It's Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. And I love this passage of Scripture because what Paul invites us to explore, what he invites us to see, is that no matter how good you think the gospel is, no matter how loved you think you are in Christ, the truth is the news is actually better than you even know. It's greater, it's more glorious, and it is more satisfying. And he has just spent three chapters, three chapters laying out this picture of a God who so loved his people that when they were dead, he made them alive. That when they were lost in their sins, he sent his son to die in their place and for their sins. This God who took people who were far off, of every tribe and language and people and tongue, and he brought them into one new people all of them there by grace, none of them there because of anything that they have done. And in the chapters that are to come, in chapters four to six, he's going to begin to lay out how we as God's people are to live in light of those realities, how we're to embrace that unity, how we are to love as we've been loved and forgive as we've been forgiven, how every relationship we have is to be turned on its head by the gospel. But before Paul goes there, He does something that if you were anything like me, I am far too prone to forget. He prays. He says, for this reason, because God has done this, because he has taken us and made us his own, because he has loved us before the very foundation of the world, because he has claimed us as his people, and he has given us this calling, he says, because of all of this, I kneel. It is an invitation for every one of us to sit there and ask ourselves, when you pray, do you pray for the church? And when you do, what do you ask? Here's what Paul says. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning uh, hungry for more of you. And Lord, I just, I confess as I look at this text, I do not have the words, I do not have the resources, I do not have the power to even begin to communicate what you have in here. 
Lord, I need you. Lord, I need the very thing that Paul prays for here. We need your power. We need you to open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts and every bit of us, Lord, to the reality of this gospel. Lord, that we ourselves, we as your people, would be transformed from the inside out. Come, Holy Spirit. Speak now. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know how it is for y'all, but prayer for me is not something that comes naturally. Uh, I set aside time for it every morning, but it, it, it comes out kind of stilted sometimes, and I find myself kind of worried, you know, am I saying the right theological thing, and should I ask this or that? I don't really know what, what the real need is. But while that's true most of the time for me, there are moments, there are moments when prayer is not something that I struggle with, it is something that just overflows. Because I realize in those moments that I am absolutely powerless, That there is something I need that I do not have and only God can provide. I had one of those moments in the spring of 2009. And it was doing something that maybe a lot of you guys can relate with. I did something dumb because of a girl. Uh, And this girl was worth it. I married her. Uh, But I didn't know that at the time. And what happened was she came to me and said, hey, Caleb, um, I don't know how you feel about this, but my stepfather, it's his birthday. And he wants to go skydiving, and I said that I would go. Would you go with me? And I heard that, and, and you should know this about me. I'm afraid of heights. Um, I don't like heights. I am willing to go to heights, but I like to do things very cautiously and carefully. And I had sworn publicly and out loud I would never go skydiving. But as soon as she asked me, while my head was going, no way am I doing that, my mouth said, Absolutely. And the next thing I knew, I was rationalizing this to myself, going, well, now that you've said it, you have to do it. She's a girl, and she's doing it, so you definitely have to do it. And on top of that, it it can't be that bad. I mean, you're going to be strapped to an instructor who knows what they're doing, who's done this thousands of times. They're going to pull the cord. They're going to handle it. It'll be just like a Six Flags ride. You'll get strapped in, you'll cart on through, and then you'll be fine. And so when we got to the the skydiving place, they confirmed that idea. The instructor said, it'll be totally fine. I'll handle everything. You'll fall for 30 seconds. You'll feel your feet yank back. You'll feel this tug, this yank. And then we'll rock back and forth just like this. And once that happens, everything is fine. We'll hit the ground. You'll go home and you'll have a great story. So I got hooked up to this instructor who was about six inches shorter than me, so I'm kind of like hunched down trying to walk with him to the plane. And he gets us inside this plane, and we begin to climb to altitude. And we're all sitting there on these benches just kind of waiting for the moment. And when the moment comes, they open up the door on the side of the plane, and we begin to slide down this bench, and each person who's at the end then jumps out of the hole that is now there on the side of the plane. And as we're sliding and scooching, It begins to hit me that this has gone from an abstract idea to reality, that I am going to come out of this plane no matter what I think at this point, and the next thing I know, I'm in the doorway looking down at the abyss, and my instructor's going, here we go, kick back your feet, and then we're falling. And I immediately, internally begin to panic. I'm counting down the seconds going, he said 30 seconds. Has it been five? Has it been 50? I don't know. Is he dead? Do I need to pull the cord? What, what, what is the solution here? Because I, 
I don't want to die. I kind of like my life. And all of a sudden, when the panic reached its zenith, all of a sudden I feel this yank. And we pull up, but we don't rock. We spin. And I hear the instructor say something that I never wanted to hear him say. And it's something that I can't say here in church. And then he said something else I didn't want to hear him say. Hold on, I'm cutting us loose. And the next thing I know, I'm falling again. And now the panic is even greater because I'm thinking, he said 30 seconds, like that time mattered. How far can we fall before it's too far? Where are we right now? Am I safe? And then I felt the second yank. We went up, the second chute opened, but we didn't rock. We spun. And I hear this instructor strapped to my back grabbing a hold of the cords and going, come on, come on, come on. And I'm just hanging there. I'm like a kangaroo in his mother's pouch. I can wave my arms, I can kick my feet, but there is absolutely nothing that I can do. And so I did the only thing that I knew to do in that moment. I prayed. And it was not a good prayer. In fact, it was a pretty terrible one. It was something like, dear sweet Jesus, don't let me die. (laughs) I don't want to die. I want to get down. I did this for a girl. I don't know why I did this for a girl. (laughs) Like, am I that weak that I just said yes? And then all of a sudden, we feel this soft, gentle tug. And we stop spinning and we start rocking, and then everything evened out. We floated to the ground, we hit the earth, and I swore I would never do it again. (laughs) And I tell that story because I think it shows us something important about prayer. We pray. We pray when we know that we need a power that we do not possess. It's the reason That if you were driving along 400 and your car began to spin out of control and you knew that you were about to slide into the meeting, it's the reason that you begin to pray because you know in that moment, it doesn't matter how many driver's ed classes you've taken, it doesn't matter how long you've had your license, it doesn't matter what kind of car you were in, in that moment you cannot control what is going to come and you need a power that you do not possess. It's the reason that when you get that call at three in the morning from someone saying, do you know where your son is? It's the reason your heart immediately begins to cry out because you know in that moment that whatever has happened, whatever has taken place, you need a power you do not possess. Paul says that sense of powerlessness, that sense of need, there is nowhere that should be greater than with Christ and his church. Because if God's people are to fulfill God's calling, if they are to be those who are not just a building, but who are actually a light to the world, if they are to be those who are actually living in light of the reality of what God has made them, as those who once were far off, but now have been brought near, as those who once were divided, but now are united, if they are to be those who love as they've been loved, and forgive as they've been forgiven, whose every relationship is turned upside down by the gospel, then we need a power. We need a power we don't possess. And the only response to that kind of powerlessness, it's to kneel. 
And here is where this text gives us such hope. We don't kneel before someone who's indifferent to our needs. We don't kneel before someone who doesn't care. Paul says, I kneel before a father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He says, I kneel before one who has lavished his people with his grace and who offers them still more. And he prays, not that this father would take us past the gospel. He prays that he would take us deeper and deeper in. And he gives us two petitions. First, he says, we must pray for strength. In verse 16, he says this, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, this strength that he's praying for, this is not strength as we imagine it in our world. Uh, it's not strength in our own control or strength in our own power. The strength that he is praying for, for Christ and his church, it is this. It is strength that comes only through dependence upon another. It is strength that leads to conformity to Christ. It is strength that leads to God's people fulfilling God's calling. And he says if we are to be strengthened in that way, it starts in our hearts. Notice how he started this prayer. Twice, twice he prayed for our hearts. He said, I want God's Spirit to empower you where? In your inner being. He wants Christ to dwell where through faith? In our hearts. Now, why would Paul care so much about our hearts here? And I think the reason is very simply this. You can change the actions of a people, but if their hearts are not changed, then you may have someone who looks very different, but in the end, they are still a Pharisee. Because the heart, the heart is the center of all of your affections. The heart is where Jesus says, everything else overflows. The heart is the thing that drives everything that you think and everything that you do. Because think about this. When you are staring across the table at someone that you love, and you know exactly what it is that God is calling you to do, that you are to forgive them, that you are to serve them instead of seeking their service, that you are to love them even as Christ has loved you, how many of you have had those moments where you know the thing you're supposed to do, and yet as you look across that table, you do not do it? Not because you don't know the answer, but because you don't want to. I know that I've been there. Paul, he is looking at God's people, and he is saying, you may be the dead that God has made alive. You may be those he's given new hearts and new desires and new passions. But in each and every one of us, there are still unconquered places in our hearts. There are still those things in every one of us that we hate. Those things that we do not want Jesus to look upon. 
those idols that are still reigning. And what Paul in this prayer is doing is he is setting his sights squarely on those. He says, I want you to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. He wants you strengthened in your hearts by Christ's presence. Now, we need to be careful here because in those, these verses, he's not describing these two separate movements. Uh, he's not saying to you, I want the Spirit to fill you so that at some point down the line, Jesus would come to dwell. Uh, he's also not praying that Jesus would come to dwell and then at some point later, you'd be filled with the Spirit. Instead, he's describing two realities that are inseparably intertwined. Two things that always come together and both of them have one aim. And it is that Jesus would stand astride your hearts like a conquering king. This is not a prayer for conversion. Remember, this is a prayer for the church. It is a prayer that with every passing day, God would empower his people through his spirit in their inner beings so that they would look on Jesus with the eyes of faith and count him as more precious than they ever did before. It is a prayer that every day would be the death of another idol. And where that idol once stood, Jesus would stand instead. It is a prayer that says to us this very uncomfortable truth. If you want to be conformed to Christ, you need first to be conquered by him. If you want to be conformed to Christ, you first need to be conquered by him. You know, that, that's not the vision of strength I grew up with. Uh, I, I grew up the child of the 1980s, 1990s action movie uh, where Chuck Norris doesn't do a push-up, he pushes the world down. Um, where Stallone and Schwarzenegger and guys in lesser-known films like American Ninja with Michael Dudikoff dominated the world, and those were the things that I just fed on as a child. And the vision of strength in all of those movies is a very simple one. It is the man who is strong is the one who does not bow his knee. It's not the one who's helpless. It's not the one who cries out for help. It's not the one who says, I need someone to rescue. Instead, the one who is strong it's the one who says, I don't care what you throw in my path. I don't care what you do to me, how you hurt me, what you accomplish, how strong you are, how many men you have. I am going to win. I will not be overcome. I will not be conquered. I will conquer. And you know, that vision of strength, that is not just a relic of the 1980s and 90s. That's the way we view strength in this world, isn't it? It's what you hear on the radio when you listen to songs by Jay-Z and Rihanna and a bunch of others. It's what you see on the television when you listen to Oprah tell you that if you just think the right thoughts and surround yourself with the right people, you can take control of your life. You can be strong. You can change your future. It's that thing that we think and we feel when we look at guys like Steve Jobs and we think there's a vision of the kind of strength I want. There's a guy who took the technological world by storm who said, I will not be stopped. I don't care who gets in my path. I will do this. It is a strength 
that comes not from dependence on another, but instead by us taking control and doing it ourselves. Paul says, that's not strength. That's a lie. Here's what strength is. It is to be conquered by one who is worthy of your allegiance and of your affection and who has all power in heaven and on earth. That's strength. It is to have God through His Spirit transform your inner being so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. Think about that for a moment. What better prayer What better prayer could we pray for the church? Because when you think about all the things that keeps the church from being the thing that Paul says God has called us to be, to be one even as the Father and the Son are one, to love each other as we've been loved and forgive as we've been forgiven, and all of these other things, when we think about all of that, we tend to want to look outside and say, well, if the culture was different, then maybe that would be different. Uh, If my circumstances were different, then maybe we could be that. If my family was different, if my day-to-day life was different, Paul says, no, 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 no. Here's the problem. It's not outside the walls of the church. It is right here in the hearts of every single person who is sitting inside. In hearts still ruled by idols that long ago should have fallen. And Paul says, my prayer for you as the church, it is that Jesus would continue that slow and steady march across the rough terrain that is your heart, and every mountain would be brought low, and every plain would be made a valley. He's praying that Jesus would stride through our hearts in the same way he rode through the temple courts, and he would throw over every idol of performance, of comfort, of security, of money, of success, or whatever it may be, and he would tear them apart brick by brick, stone by stone, so that in those places where they once stood, Jesus would stand instead, and we would know the rule, not of a tyrant, not of someone indifferent to us or someone who doesn't care for us, but instead of one who so loved his people that he gave his life that he would possess us and who in everything that he does is working for our good. Paul says, I want the church to be strengthened in that way. That's an uncomfortable prayer, isn't it? Because when I think about that, and I think about praying that, it frightens me to think, what might Jesus take in my heart? What might he bring down? But it is a prayer that I desperately need the Lord to answer. Because it is only then, it is only when we have been conquered that the church is strong. And Paul says, I pray for more than just that. I don't just want you to have strength. I want you to have insight. Here's what he says, starting in verse 17. He says, I pray that you being rooted and grounded in love, literally as those who have been planted in the soil of God's redemptive love and are growing up out of it, as those who have been built on the finished work of Jesus. And I want you all to catch this. Notice the grammar. He doesn't say as those who have planted themselves, does he? He says as those who have 
been planted. This is a soil you have been planted in, not by your work, but by the work of another. You are in this love, not because of anything you have done, but because God in His mercy and in His grace, before the very foundation of the world, looked at you and said, you will be one of mine. He is the one who has planted you there. And Paul says, I pray that you, rooted and grounded in that love, I pray that you would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He is praying, not for insight into God's love in the way that your mechanic has insight into your car and says, you know what, your carburetor's busted. He's praying for insight that transforms. He says, I want you as God's people to comprehend this love its heights, its depths, its lengths, its widths. I want you to know this love that no matter how deep you go, it runs deeper still. No matter how far you go, it runs wider still. This love that is unlike anything that you have seen in this world, anything you've experienced. Because if you think about our experience of love, it's not like the love of Christ, is it? Paul is praying this because he knows that in our lives we have no earthly parallel for what he's talking about here. You know, I, I am the father of three little girls, and they're the sweetest little things. They're beautiful, they're cute, they're fun, uh, they make my heart sing sometimes. But at three in the morning, when they have been crying since nine p.m., and I am desperately wanting to go to sleep, and it's happened night after night after night after night. I reach a limit in my love. And there are things that begin to come out of me that I hate to see. And they come out not just at my daughter, but sometimes at my wife. We're used to love with limits, aren't we? Because that's the kind of love that we are capable of. It's the love that you see in the movie Warrior which is the story of these two young men who have been building their lives back up from the rubble that had been created in their childhood. Of men who had a father who abused them, verbally, physically, who drank and drank and drank and drank. And when they got out of that house, they did not want to go back. They didn't want to look back. They wanted nothing to do with their dad. And then one day, the dad comes back. He's sober. He's repentant. And he's got a crumpled up Bible in one hand and a hunger for forgiveness in the other. And he comes to each boy and he says, will you forgive me? I'm so sorry. And as one of the sons says, you are 20 years too late. Where was this guy 20 years ago? Because that's when I needed him. That's the love we're used to. It is a love that says, once you go this far, there's no turning back. It's a love that the Father exhausted. And it is a love that you and I, we are far too quick to assign to our Father in heaven. Paul says that's not the love of God in Christ Jesus. The love of God in Christ Jesus, this is a love so deep that even if you descended into the deepest depths of hell, this is a love that runs deeper still.
It is a love so wide that even if you come back to the same sins again and again and again and again and again, you will never find yourself face to face with the Jesus who will say to you, you are 20 years too late. But instead one who says, even to a thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. It is a love that Paul has spent three chapters laying out of a God who looks on his people when they are dead. When there is nothing good in them. When as Augustine said, of themselves they are only Satan. Who looks on them, who looks on us at our very worst and says, you I will save. I will do everything that is necessary to bring you home. I will restore you, I will heal you, even at the cost of my own son, and I do it not because of anything good in you, not because of anything beautiful in you, but simply because I delight to do it. Paul says, I want you, the church, to comprehend a love that none of us deserve, and yet every single one of us needs. And he doesn't just want us to comprehend it, he wants us to know it deeply, intimately. He says, I want you to know, as he says in verse 19, this love that surpasses knowledge. A love so grand that even if you got every book from every library all across the world and you brought them into one place and you spent your entire life studying those texts, and you read page after page after page after page after page, a love so grand that Paul says, even if you did that, you would not have come close to even understanding the tiniest thimbleful of the ocean that is God's love. And he says, I don't just want you to know that intellectually, the knowledge he's talking about here, it is experiential knowledge. He's saying, I want you to know that this love, this love that surpasses knowledge, that has heights and depths and lengths and widths that you are rooted in and grounded in, this ocean in which you swim, this love is for you. That when God says in Romans 5, 8 that he shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's not talking in abstractions. He's not talking about people out there he is talking about you. He's talking about me. That when we were still dead and lost and enslaved to sin, he looked at you and he said, this one, this enemy, I will make a child. And I will bring them home. He wants you to know that when Jesus died, he died for you and for the specific sins in your life. He died for the envy that you feel for your sister every time you look at her marriage and her house and her kids and you think, why can't I have that? He died for the gossip that you spread at the office because you thought somebody else was stealing your thunder and getting credit for what you have done. He died for the lies that you have told your parents and the lies that you have told your spouse. He died for the adultery that you have committed and the embezzlement that you have done, he died. For every scrap, every bit of bigotry that lurks inside of our hearts, every time we looked at one of Jesus' little ones who was in need and we said, I don't have time right now. He died for every single time we looked at Jesus and we said no. 
And Paul, Paul would say to you, he did it simply because of this. Because he loved you. Because it's who he is. And that love, that extravagant, glorious, beautiful, saving love, it is for you. Do you know that love? Have you comprehended its heights and its depths and its lengths and its widths? Do you know that no matter how deep the hole you think you have dug yourself, no matter how dark it may seem, no matter how far from God you may feel, do you realize that at this moment you have not gone too far? That there is a father who would say to you, come and I would heal you. That there is one who would take you in his arms and lift you from the depths and bring you into the riches of his glorious grace. Do you know that even if you've been an elder here at Perimeter from the very beginning, 40 years, and you have been faithful to Jesus for that entire time, you've raised kids who love Jesus, you've done a, a job where you honored God and all that you did, and every morning you wake up and you open up your Bible and you have read those pages till they are crumbling in your fingers, and you know that love deeply and intimately and powerfully, do you know that if what Paul says is true, you have only just begun? There are depths here you will never be able to fully discover and fully see. Even in heaven, we will spend eternity looking into this. Paul says, I want you to know this love because when you do, only when you do, will God's people ever be able to fulfill God's calling. Because how are you and I ever going to love our enemies if we don't know that Jesus loved his? How are we ever going to forgive those who have stabbed us in the back and destroyed our reputations and wounded us in ways that words cannot even describe if we do not know that we have already been forgiven an even greater debt? How are you ever going to suffer or die or risk for the gospel if you do not know that the one who rules in your heart, he is the one who rules over heaven and earth, he is the one whose love for you is so great that when you were running from him with all your strength, he came down from heaven. He came down from heaven and he sought his bride. And with his life he bought her. And for her life he died. Paul, he says, if God's people are going to fulfill God's calling, they need a power they don't possess. They need to be strengthened in their hearts by Christ's presence. They need to know, to have insight, to comprehend the heights and the depths and the lengths and the widths of this love because when they do, that is when they will be filled to all the fullness with God. And the glorious hope of the text is that when we kneel before God and we say we need a power we do not possess, we find a father, not a distant one, not an angry one. We find the father that every dad is supposed to be, the one we always wanted but never had, who has every single thing in heaven and on earth, who says in verses 20 and 21, whose power is already at work within you, 
The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And we come to one who no matter what we ask him, no matter how grand or how glorious, no matter what we imagine his church could be, who says, I am able to do abundantly more than you ask or think. And in the face of such a God, this Father who loves, this Son who saves, this Spirit who empowers, what other thing could we do but kneel? We need a power we do not possess. And we find in this God one who gives it freely, richly, and lavishly. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord Jesus, Lord, I am so thankful for you. Lord, I need you. I need you desperately. I need you more than I even know. And I pray right now, Lord, I pray for this body. Lord, for the people in this room, for those who are part of this church and aren't even here right now, Lord, we pray through your Spirit, strengthen us with power in our inner beings. Through your Spirit, so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, would have the strength to comprehend where the heights and the depths and the lengths and the widths, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we, Lord, would be filled with all the fullness of God that we as God's people would fulfill your calling and we would be what you intended us to be. Come now in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.